This is part number two. Part number two today, the most misused verses in the Bible. Started out with this last week. Uh, really, there's probably not uh, enough time even to do it all this, but I'm leaving nonetheless, and who knows what's going to happen uh, when I come back. And I am pretty sure, I don't. I didn't hear Pastor Bill say anything, but next week when I'm on vacation, I'm pretty sure he said that Pastor Don Strange is going to be doing Sunday school next week. And so if the, it's the 14th, I think it is. So yeah, he said that Pastor Don Strange coming, so you don't want to miss that. And uh, But regardless, we'll get through as much as we can, look at as many of these as possible. And there are a lot of misused verses in the Bible that people have a preconceived notion or a preconceived idea about that's just false. It's just not true. They take them, they misapply them, and they end up with disappointment. Last week, as we introduced, as I introduced this this series, if you will, about how people misunderstand the Word of God and misapply the Word of God. We used a couple examples about how the devil can use that to knock us off track, to get us to doubt God. We looked at the first example in the Bible, which doesn't take very long to get to, is uh, the creation account with Adam and Eve and how that the devil went to Eve and ended up twisting the Word of God to to something that it wasn't and caused her to doubt God and um, ultimately uh, was one of the reasons which led to uh, the sin and the fall. And we go, you know, thousands of years, maybe 4,000 years, something like that, maybe from that event to Jesus' temptation. And we see that the devil was still using the same tactics, even on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how he tried to you know, twist God's word, and uh, Jesus responded by, you know, accurately using scripture and Deuteronomy there, and so the devil ta devil's tactics really haven't changed, and so many people have a misunderstanding of God's word for many different reasons. We'll look at a few of them uh, today, but the misunderstandings that we often have, and I think we're we're just as subject to this as you know other groups and other Christians out there. Just because you grow up in a good fundamental church doesn't mean that you can't have some misunderstandings about God's word. I think it'll be kind of interesting when we get to heaven, and maybe at that time we're just gonna kind of understand how it all worked together, and maybe maybe instantaneously we'll understand, maybe little by little. Uh, Christ will reveal it to us, or maybe we won't even really care that much. I don't know. But it'd be interesting to look and see how how many misunderstandings about the Word of God we actually had. You know, how many things that we thought were just absolutely, we got it uh, perfectly, perfectly watertight, sealed. We know what it says, what it means, and how we may be a little bit off on a few things here or there. I don't know. All we can do is allow the Holy Spirit, of course, to illuminate our our minds, and um, you got to be saved first for that to happen, and uh, you know, take God's word, understand it the best we can. We're privileged to have not just part of the word of God, but all of the word of God. There's not lost books out there somewhere that we don't know where they're at. No, it's complete. It's whole. God has preserved his word. We're thankful that we have it in our language. So many countries still don't have it in their language. Some countries have just part of it. Just the New Testament, we get to see the whole account from beginning to end. And it's a shame that we neglect it as often as we do. I'm guilty even of that myself. So these misunderstandings that people have, they lead to what? 
they lead to false expectations. Because if you have a misunderstanding about something in the Bible, it's going to leave you with a false expectation, an expectation that's just not real. And you're going to maybe hold God to that standard and say, you know, I expect this from you because that's what I believe your word says. However, your belief may be wrong. And so that false expectation can lead to unmet expectations because we've expected him to do it. Now, events and circumstances have happened. All of a sudden, our expectations, our false expectations were not met by God. And that leads us to doubt God. Is God good? Makes us to doubt, well, if that one thing is not true, the false expectation I had, if it will, you know, if I believe it is true and I say, well, uh, if that's not true, then how, how can I trust the rest of it? And then that doubt can lead, can lead to uh, a falling away. I like what Pastor Bill did a sermon a few years ago. Um, you know, when preachers preach, you know, you hear a lot of sermons, you get a lot of meals, if you would, but some meals stick with you more than others. We think about Christmas meal, Thanksgiving meal, uh, and even sermons are the same way. We hear a lot of sermons, we hear a lot of preaching, hear a lot of Sunday school lessons, but there are certain ones that just stick. And one of them that he preached a few years ago was about doubt. You probably maybe remember the story, and, and the whole sermon was about doubt. And even if you doubt, still just trust God. Still just trust God. Because there's a very good possibility that you may have a, maybe a misunderstanding about something. And, you know, there's going to be times in everybody's life, everybody goes through uh, some type of doubt. Some go through much bigger doubts than others. But it's important that through the doubt that we just say, you know, um, it's kind of like uh, the man, I, I like the verse talking to Jesus about, I think it was his daughter being healed. And I know I've mentioned this before, but he says, um, I believe, Lord, but help thou my unbelief. And it's just, you know, in our, we trust God, but we also can have some doubt, but just push through regardless and just trust God through it. And I, I know he'll see us through it. And so what type of misleadings do we have? What, uh, before we just jump into some other examples, I'll, I'll just give you uh, the main points of the lesson. I'll just give you maybe an example of maybe an unmet, a false expectation, which unmet expectation leads to doubt. Doubt can lead to falling away. Uh, one of the easiest ones I can think of is Proverbs 24, 6, I believe, I believe is the reference. Uh, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Okay, if you misunderstand what that verse says, you can be significantly disappointed with God. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay, what does that mean? First of all, it's in Proverbs, um, so, which means it's Proverbs is a book of principles not promises. That right there kind of tips you off to where we're going. But many people look at that, not understanding that Proverbs is a book of principles, and they take it as a promise. And so they say to themselves, well, I believe that if I just train up my child and point him in the right direction, and I'm faithful to God, I take him to church, I have devotions with my family every week, I, you know, make them listen to Patch the Pirate, <laughs> Uh, watch, you know, Christian TV programs, keep the world away from them, put them in Christian school, that they're going to turn out and they're going to love God because God's word's not going to return void. And, we, and, you know, if I train them up the right way, they are going to turn out. And maybe if they fall away a little bit, they're going to turn back around and, you know, eventually sometime in their life, you know, they're going to come back because God's word says 
that if I train them up, they're not going to depart from it. And man, that can leave people with some false expectations. First of all, you know, no parent is perfect. And, and so, so many people say, well, if, if their kid turns out bad, they'll say, well, maybe it's because I didn't do what I was supposed to. That's a good chance. It's a, it's a good possibility. That's the case. Uh, however, I think even if you're perfect, that doesn't mean your kids are going to turn out. Even if you did everything absolutely perfect, I'm going to say this, even if you had no sin nature whatsoever, you did exactly what you were supposed to do, I do not believe for a second that that means that your kids would turn out right. How, how do we know that? We can look at the first example, the first parent in the Bible, which would have been God with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve couldn't ask for a better father. Could they have? No, absolutely not. And so God did everything he was supposed to do, but yet they still chose to go wayward. So with that being said, we're just trying to generally point our kids in the right direction. But and then if they turn out poor, then it comes down to their choice. So when we say Proverbs is a book of principles, it's a general rule. It's like this. My parents told me at a young age, if you play out in traffic, you're going to get hit by a car. Now, it's not a promise. Okay, I've played out in traffic. I'm guilty of it. Um, you know, I grew up in kind of a small town. We'd play wiffle ball in the street. You guys remember that back in the day? Baseball in the street and, you know, street hockey. We did all that sort of stuff. And when the cars came, we did our best to jump out of the way. And we never got hit. But the principle behind it was don't play in traffic. If you, if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. That's a principle. That's not a promise. You can play with fire and not get burnt. When we come to the book of Proverbs, we can't go in a, and just assume that it's a promise. We must understand it and take it in context. And so, my goodness, that's just one small example about how we can take verses um, out of context. We can misuse them, misapply them. And uh, parents, again, take that verse and be highly disappointed with God and can believe either they're at fault for something they're not, or can doubt God's word that it's not uh, what it says it is. So last week, the one we looked at uh, for after the introduction was judge not, judge not, and how people try to use that verse as a weapon to get you not to criticize them or correct them. We do have a responsibility to hold each other accountable and we just got to make sure we're right with God ourselves. That doesn't mean that we have to be totally perfect because otherwise nobody could correct anyone. But uh, we don't want to be hypocritical in it, and we definitely have the right to uh, judge or uh, come down and give a verdict, if you would. So the next one that we're going to look at is all things work together for good. All things work together for good. This comes from Romans 8.28. We all know this one. It's one of probably the most famous verses in the Bible, but can also be the most one of the most misunderstood and misused verses. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Some misuse of this verse is this. All things will be good in my life. All things will be good in my life. Now, uh, to this group of people in here, we probably, 99% of us understand what this verse says, and we know that all things will be good in my life is not a true statement. There are Christian circles out there that do believe this type of teaching. It's false teaching. They do promote this type of thing, 
And uh, would I like to believe that all things will be good in my life? I would like to. I mean, who wouldn't want all things to be good in your life? But it's just not true. Everything will work out in my life. It may not be where it's supposed to be, but I'm going to cling to this verse. And I'm going to just trust God. And he is going to work everything out in my life. Uh, yeah. God wanted this bad thing to happen so it will work out for good. Misuse. God wanted this bad thing to happen so that it could work out for good. This verse used in the wrong circumstance can, can cause some real damage. You don't want to use this verse when somebody is going through the tragic loss of a family member or maybe an unexpected death. If you're over there trying to comfort them, please do not use this verse. Please, please. Do I believe it to be true? Yes. Do I believe that it can help them? Yes. But in the moment when they're hurting, they're not looking for a bunch of advice. Okay? They want somebody to sit there and listen. I, you know, Job's friends in the Bible, they, they uh, messed up at the end, but I think they sat quiet for, what was it, three days? They came and sat with him, if I have the, the number of days. That, that's, what, <laughs> that's a good thing to do. Just be there. Be there for the people. Don't try to offer all sorts of spiritual advice. It's not going to go over well, okay? And if they want some help, they got some questions, you know, maybe at that point uh, try to help. But but uh, definitely don't don't just start throwing this verse around at all. Um, you know, we use this verse when it comes to tragedies uh, in our life. I, I remember an evangelist um, in Arkansas. When I was in high school, there was a few other schools that we competed in sports against. And uh, this one school was in, I believe, Heber Springs, Arkansas. And this is where this family, this evangelist family was stationed out, stationed out of. They had four kids. And I remember that one day towards the end of the basketball season, our coach got word that during one of the basketball games, that their 16-year-old son basically collapsed dead on the basketball court. It was one of those things right around that time where there it was a big push to have you know an AED monitor in sporting facilities and that sort of thing. There was a few of those that had happened, uh, and he was one of the cases where for some reason his heart just gave out, and he and he died. He died actually in the ambulance on the way to the hospital and. You think to yourself, what in the world? Are really all things working together for good in our life? That doesn't sound like anything good happened. How could anything good come out of that? Wouldn't it be good if my, my child, I mean, thinking from a parent's perspective, if my child was still here with me? And, you know, clinging to these types of, of verses, um, you know, it's good if we properly understand what's going on. Uh, let's look at the proper use, the proper use of this verse. First one is, this applies to believers who love God. That is key. That is key. This verse does not work at all for people who do not know Christ as their Savior. This verse is not true of unbelievers. This is not true just for people who attend church. This verse is only true for people who have been born again, who have new life in Christ. And so, um, God is definitely working out all things for our good, but he's not working all things out for the unbeliever. 
Revelation 20:15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That does not sound like God's working things out for the unbeliever. They're making their choice, just like you made your choice to trust Christ or reject Christ. They're making their choice, and uh, if they choose to reject Christ, things are not going to work out. So, uh, trust. if you don't know Christ as your Savior, trust Christ. Um, sin, sin, though, has caused all disasters that we see. Every horrible thing that has taken place in this life is because of sin. You say, well, why did I have to go through that? The base root cause, where the rubber meets the road, is because there's sin in the world. Why did so-and-so die? Because, really, it comes down to because there was sin. Why did that uh, young man die in the basketball court and have some heart failure? Ultimately, it comes back to sin. If sin had not come into the world, that would never happen. Um, and so, God is not at fault for any tragedy that came into the world. It's not God's fault that all these things were here. He gave man uh, the choice to choose right or choose wrong, and uh, when man chose to sin against God, the dominoes began to fall, and here we are. Here we are. Uh, but I can honestly say, you know, all this horrible stuff that happens uh, in our life is not because God wanted all of this to happen, okay? Um, let's look at this. This is the sum, when we look at the, the proper use of the verse, this is the sum total of all events, not isolated incidents. All all things work together for good. All things work together for good. When I think of this verse, I can't help think of cooking and baking. And uh, those of you that like to bake, I don't like to bake. I don't like to cook, um, but I do like to eat. And when you're making a cake, when you take all the ingredients, not all of them are real good separate from each other. I mean, if you went and you wanted to you know, try a raw egg, Go for it. Go for it. It's just not going to be very good. You want to go and try uh, vanilla extract. Okay, put a little bit of that on your finger. I remember as a kid, I tried that. Put a little bit on your finger thinking it's going to be real good because of what, it, what the end product comes out. But no, it's nasty. It's, it's bitter. It's gross. It's absolutely gross. Um, you know, uh, the sugar, the, the icing, all that. Yes, yes. Those are all, you know, maybe good things. Um, but trials and tragedies that we go through, they are not enjoyable. They're not delicious. However, we all go through them. And God can take all those bad things and the good things that happen. He mixes them all up together to make something great, make something beautiful. And that's what it means by all things. At them all by themselves, they're not very good. But when we put them together... Uh, they do work together for good, and God can cause uh, them to work together for good. I think about Paul when he was being persecuted. I mean, he went through pain. He went through uh, personal struggles. He went through guilt, uh, all, all sorts of different things. Uh, but God had a plan, and all things work together for good. And so God can use even, I would even say this, God can even use our failures to allow good things uh, to come out of them. Another way that we can use this verse, properly use this verse, is that all things will work together for the sake of the kingdom. That's a proper way to look at this verse um, as well. I remember, I've told you this story, I think in a sermon a while ago, that my mom, she had a saying growing up, and I still need to be reminded of this saying from time to time, but the earth does not revolve around Chris. 
The earth does not revolve around Chris. I can't tell you how many times she quoted that to me, but it's true. And I do need to hear it from time to time. My wife has to remind me of that from time to time, not in those exact words, but that's what she's getting at. The earth does not revolve around Chris. And although we think it revolves all around us, there is a much bigger picture going on. We're kind of along for the ride. We're on God's team. We're part of his family. We're helping him accomplish his goals to glorify, to honor God, that we're going to fulfill his purpose. And when we have such a small-minded, small-mindedness about uh, what's going on, we can tend to be super self-focused instead of thinking about the big picture. And so some of the things that we endure is not just, hey, God's going to work this thing out for me specifically. But what about the good, the good of the whole, the good of the kingdom? I remember hearing a story. I was trying to look it up earlier today because I really wanted to find the guy's name. But I remember when I was at college that they told this story uh, of a missionary many years ago who wanted to take Bibles to a remote island somewhere. And these people had never been reached with the gospel, and there was a team of two or three guys, I think, that went, and uh, they pull up on a boat to the shore, and they had, you know, Bibles that they were bringing, and uh, again, trying to evangelize these, uh, this tribe of people, that they were just wild, and they get off the boat, never get to say a word, never get to preach the gospel, and I believe they were killed right there on the spot. If I remember right, they were like decapitated or something. Right there on the spot. As soon as they saw. And you think, well, what? I mean, all things are going to work out together for good. And you often think, well, my good. It's not always your good. No. Years later, apparently that one event actually ended up leaving to that whole tribe trusting Christ as Savior and converting over to Christianity, and how, you know, years later, somebody else was able to come and was able to lead them to Christ, and that event helped those folks get saved eventually. And so was it for the good that those, those men died and were killed? I mean, they had families. They had wives. Oh, it was a terrible, bitter thing that happened. People were saddened for it, but yet... It was for the good. And so we got to get this big picture uh, in mind. And we got to get to the place where we are trusting God like he's our commander in chief and that he knows what's best. When the boys, uh, when the men, you know, uh, fought for our country and specifically think about the people on the front lines, which they knew when they heading to battle, that they're probably not coming home. And they can think to myself, they can think to themselves, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but yet they just trust the commander-in-chief that their sacrifice is going to be for the good of the country. And so when we look at our lives, we place them in the hands of a God who knows what's good, and he knows what's best, and he knows what the outcome is supposed to be. And we say, God, you know, I may not want this for myself, but yet I'm going to trust you for it, that the, the outcome is going to be the way that pleases you. And so uh, that's the proper way uh, to look at this verse. And the last thing is God's idea of good, what God sees as good, may differ from what we see as good. can lead to that misunderstanding. Um, Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord, 
and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows what be what's best. We got to just trust him and give him all the in ingredients. Let him trust him for the outcome in all of it. We got four minutes. I'm going to look at this last one here for today. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy, thine heart. The misuse of this verse is this. If I just worship and love God, he's going to give me what I want. And many people believe that. We were out fishing yesterday, and I could say, man, you know, God, I'm a, I delight myself in you. I get up and, you know, I preach and I teach and I evangelize and I witness and I read my Bible and I pray, you know, because of that, God's going to give me the big fish yesterday. And I think I had the biggest fish for a while, but then I got beat out by somebody. But, uh, you know, that's just not the way that it works. Um, people view this verse maybe as like good karma. I'm going to do good. I'm going to love God, and that means everything's just going to turn out well in my life. Not true. Not true. So let's look at the proper application. The proper use is this. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, His desires become our desires. Okay, when we delight in the Lord, His desires, in turn, become our desires. And so that doesn't happen instantaneously. If maybe you are a new Christian, maybe you've been backslidden for a while, it's important to note that sometimes this takes some time, but as you delight in the Lord, your desires are going to end up being his desires. I think about uh, I think about my uh, children. I delight myself in my children, maybe not all the time, but many times I, most of the time I delight myself in my in my children, and I like to do what they like to do so because I delight in my children, I'm going to delight in let's just say, taking them to the park. Wouldn't that make sense? I'm going to delight in taking them to the park. If they like to play sports, they like to play tennis and golf and basketball and all sorts of things. And because I delight in them, I'm going to do the things that make them happy. And I mean, it just comes becomes as simple as that. Um, and so when we delight ourselves in the things of God, soon enough, we're going to find, because we love God, that our desires are going to turn into his desires. So when we love God and we read his word, it's going to say his desire for us is that what? That we evangelize. That's going to be one of the outcomes. So our desire is going to turn into God's desire and it's going to work out. Solomon, um, if our desire for temporal things, if our desire is for temporal things and we are not delighting in the Lord, that's just a simple test. If your desire is for temporal things in this life, you are not delighting in the Lord because it goes hand in hand. It goes absolutely hand in hand. Solomon, he chased every desire outside the things of God and left him empty, left him broken. He had everything, but he actually had nothing at the same time. And it wasn't until the end that he figured it all out. So proper use of this is delight yourself in the Lord. Give it time. Show up to church. Get interested in the things God's God is interested in. And yes, he is going to give you the desires of your heart. And so, all right, that's it.
What do I have for next one? Oh, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's a big one. Well, we don't have time. All right. Cliffhanger. Yeah, see you in a month. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a few moments to look at some of these things. And may, may you give us understanding of the word of God. Uh, may, we, may you remove any misconceptions or false ideas that we have. We want to trust you fully. We don't want to doubt. Um, we don't want to have the wrong idea uh, about your program or your purpose. Um, may, may, will you illuminate our minds? May you give us a complete understanding of your word so that we can live for you the best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.